Hello and welcome to Our Three Cents, a podcast celebrating the very finest video games. My name is Jonathan Dunn and I'm joined by my childhood friend, Chris Dow. Attack of the Mutant Camels. And my adulthood friend, Minty Booth. Your grass-fed friend. And we are discussing (laughs) our all-time top 100 video games. Announcement! Announcement! As I'm sure you're aware, if you've seen anything about this podcast or listened to the last few episodes, we have now ploughed headfirst into our second season, our top 50 favourite video games of all time. And in conjunction with that, we have launched our very own Patreon page. If you go over to www.patreon.com forward slash our three cents, there you can pledge to become a patreon of the podcast and depending on how much you wish to pledge you can get all kinds of amazing perks you can get social media shout outs you can get access to special bonus episodes and deleted scenes you can get personalized artwork even the opportunity to record an episode with us I mean, there's so much joy to be had there for both you and for us. So we really do hope that if you're enjoying this, that you uh, hop on over, have a little look and see if you fancy it, which which, I hope you do. This week, we have our number 48. Oh, boy. Before we do that, it is time to take a trip down to Westminster, where (laughs) we will barge into the Houses of Parliament with our placards held high, outraged, at the injustice on display before us and request, nay, demand a change to the order of quizness. Yes! (laughs) Yeah. Down with Thatcher. Strong. The score is currently 27 to 24 in favour of Chris. Come on. What is the name of the gang member that Grand Theft Auto San Andreas revolves around? Well, never played it. Unfair. Ask another one. (laughs) (laughs) Congratulations, Chris. That is absolutely correct. There we go. Well done, Chris. We've had another question thrown in from the social media verse. Oh, lovely. It's a nice one, this. I've enjoyed pondering this one. What video game would you like to see be made into a film and who would direct it? Oh, that's nice. So it's probably because it's coming hot on the heels of the episode last week where I spoke about Thief Deadly Shadows. But I mean, I've always liked the idea of thief the thief series being made into a film i think it would be really good it's it's got excellent narrative great world doesn't have a silent protagonist so there wouldn't be that awkward problem with say adapting something like legend of zelda where the main character doesn't say anything yeah and obviously i mean you're not going to get christopher nolan to direct the film let's be honest or denis villeneuve you could hypothetically yeah i mean sure maybe who knows christopher mcquarrie all tied up with Mission Impossible films. David Fincher? I did think David Fincher. I mean, he's a great director, but, you know, and he's picked some fairly uh, out there films. Like, you know, who would have thought the Facebook film would have been what it was, which was fantastic. Guillermo del Toro is probably a fairly obvious choice for doing anything sort of dark and fantasy-like. But I did have a couple of thoughts of people who could plausibly do it and do it well. First is James Wan, who made The Conjuring films and he's got a fantastic way of establishing atmosphere and dread and oppression just with with very little and with with tension and i think he'd be fantastic for sort of channeling the more horror tinged roots of uh, of of the series but then i thought of two people one is jean-pierre Jeunet, the french director who directed quite famously amelie but he also did a film called the city of lost children which is very 
dark sort of tinged fantasy sci-fi and it's got a similar sort of uh, eclectic aesthetic to what sort of something like thief has uh, but but with it's sort of very sort of bright and big sort of characters not not too dissimilar to some, something like what terry gilliam makes who again I think would be another one who'd be quite good but there's also the director Alex Proyas who made a film called Dark City back in the 90s which was absolutely fantastic again really good sort of dark fantasy sci-fi and I think he, he'd be great to do it although to be fair he hasn't made anything good in about 10 years so <laughs> more than that iRobot was the last film he made that was any any good and that was 16 years ago blimey yeah, so he's let himself down. So, uh, I don't know, maybe one of those three. But as long as Roger Deakins shoots it, I don't care. Because uh, that is the ultimate seal of approval for any film. Minty? <laughs> I mean, I, just 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 by listening to you, I am nowhere near your level of um, of expertise when it comes to good directors or good films or anything like that. But what about a Silent Hill film directed by Lars von Trier? Holy shit. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> no, I don't want to see that. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. Oh my! Mm, good fit though, maybe. Yeah. I, I went into that a little bit more jubilantly than I probably should have because I've never seen a Lars von Trier film. Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> but I like the name. My first thought was uh, a Silent Hill film done by Clive Barker. What's Clive Barker done? Hellraiser. Ah. What about you, Chris? What do you think? Very simple, and I think it's simple because once once I say it, I think you'll be able to visualise it. Animal Crossing, okay. co-written and directed by Wes Anderson and Noah Baumbach oh. in the animation style of Fantastic Mr. Fox and Isle of Dogs. Yep, that's the correct answer to that question. <laughs> Easy. There we go. Another bloody Easy. point for Chris. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and Isabel's uh, voiced by uh, Greta Gerwig. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Oh. Who, who would voice K.K. Slider? Oh, K.K. Slider, it's Owen Wilson, isn't it? K.K. Slider's going to be Owen Wilson. Of course Wilson. it is. <laughs> We'd have Bill Murray playing Booker. Or I, I can see Bill Murray playing um, Rosetti. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tilda Swinton as the as Savannah, the giraffe. <laughs> <laughs> Any more? Juliette Binoche as Celeste. Who's that guy in The World's End who looks like a fines but isn't? Oh, um, he plays the guy that's uh, in the cubicle and he's like, someone's in you. Eddie Marson. Yeah. yeah. Uh, how about him as Blathers? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah that's Absolutely. Good. Eddie Marson as Blathers. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> Can we pitch this film? <laughs> should we should, should we be writing this down? <laughs> <laughs> Ray finds as Tom Nook. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Captain played by Adrian Brody. So, uh, <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> there we go. There we go. We'll be able to dine out on that for the rest of the year. So, what have we been playing this week? Speaking of dining out, I did give Snack World a go, and and not not for me. I think it's. I mean, I I love food puns. I love dungeon crawlers. I love level five, but there was just something about it that I just wasn't. I just didn't enjoy. I think the hmm. you know the gameplay loop is something that I'm quite familiar with from obviously playing games like Diablo and other dungeon crawlers. But it, it just wasn't very satisfying to play. Like the, the main core fighting mechanics and everything. Oh, yeah, it, it felt like a hassle rather than something fun. Like it didn't matter how many times you did a run on Diablo. It was always fun because it was just oh, it was just really satisfying to play. And yeah, I just got just got bored very, very quickly after only a couple of hours, really. And was like, no, I, I, and from what I read, it, it doesn't change, you know. It's stayed kind of like that, but... Oh, I know. That's a shame. It is, yeah. 
But I, I did play a couple of indie games. I played through Gree on your recommendation, Chris, and that was a wonderful, wonderful it's game. Lovely, isn't it? Really lovely. Really beautiful. I also played through the single player campaign of Box Boy and Box Girl, which was, I mean, just great. I've, I've loved that series. It's got a great Hal Laboratory style to it, and it's just, oh, it's just lovely. Really fun and good puzzling, and just, yeah, simple, but just very, very clever. I really enjoyed that. And then my, most of my uh, time and, and energy has gone into a, a new discovery that was recommended to me by my friend Charles, that heartbreaker, Charles. Oh. called Outer Wilds Ooh. on the PlayStation 4. Yeah. I, I must say, I, I've been completely sort of enraptured by it. So it's essentially a first-person puzzle adventure sci-fi game, I think is the best way of describing it. I knew nothing about the game going in other than Charles said it was one of the most profound experiences of his life. Oh, <laughs> Charles. Um, yeah. So I was going in with, with you know, just just, oh, just simply exploring, exploring this game, exploring what it was about. And essentially you're just an alien on a tiny little planet in a tiny little solar system. And you've just got your piloting license to fly your spaceship to go exploring. And you're given a few sort of little breadcrumbs to go on. Like there's evidence of a prior life form civilization in this solar system before your current one. There are some other explorers from the planet that have gone off on some of the other planets and there's some people who have gone missing and then you're just kind of left to it to basically figure out what's going on what you need to do and yeah you just explore and discover and i've just been having the most wonderful time it sort of unlocked that same sense of wonder and mystery and intrigue that i had when playing something like the witness it's fantastic i don't really want to say too much about the game just because the joy i'm having kind of just discovering is great. I've played a little bit and I, I've i struggled a bit so far and, and I'm not sure what it is that I'm kind of finding difficult but I it's almost like the bit I want to enjoy is just beyond my ability at the moment. Yeah. And, and that's a really strange way of thinking about a game but because it is very open like you said you're, you're plonked down you have kind of like you say like strands to kind of get you going but after that it really is a case of just being like right in your spaceship off you go and the spaceship itself is, is so hard to manoeuvre and, and get the hang of to begin with and to kind of like work around how you, how you move between places. I, I haven't got to the part that will then hook me after that when I start like picking up these other kind of threads of narrative and, and threads of story. Yeah. And I, I want to keep going. Like it's, it's the type of game I can feel that I will enjoy if I can break through this beginning part. Yeah. But I feel like the beginning part has really done its best to push me away at the start more than games yeah. normally do. And, and I, I don't know why that is. I'm not sure what about it is kind of that I'm struggling with more than... The, like you say, The Witness as an example, something about that game funnels you very gently in an open way, but gently when you start out so that things make sense and, and you feel like you're making progress quite quickly to, to get the hang of what the world is about. Uh, and with Outer Wilds, it, it's not presented in the same way. It's very much like you could easily spend the first couple hours achieving next to nothing, which is what I essentially have done. And it, it's quite hard to like allay that against the fact that I know it's it's quite expansive. I know I'm supposed to be finding this stuff and and, and moving about. And and I hope that if I give it a few more evenings, I will start to, to get through, like sort of persevere to the point where I, I reach this point where everyone says it's brilliant because I'm, I'm not there yet. I really do hope so. And I mean, you're right. Like the, the ship controls are tricky and yeah. it took a while to sort of get get a hang of them but i mean i'm by no means perfect with them i think 
my enjoyment came when I started not worrying about it so much and yeah. not worrying about landing perfectly, not worrying about actually just wrecking my ship in terms of it, I just use it to get me to a planet and then it can fuck off. <laughs> you discover things in the story that makes you go, it doesn't matter because if, if I wreck it and I die, I can try again. And that's basically it. So I've become a little bit more laissez-faire with my, my craft. <laughs> so maybe maybe that might help in just sort yeah. of, I think, let, just, just let go. Just let go, brother. <laughs> Minty, what have you been playing this week? This week, I've completed one game, which I talked about in our bonus DLC episode, which is available exclusively to our Patreons. If you want to find out what that is, why not consider becoming a patron? And I'm also playing through Tales of Vesperia Definitive Edition on the Switch. I'm a good chunk into Act 2, so it's starting to really ramp up with the mystery and the intrigue and uh, political machinations that we love to see in our big sprawling JRPGs. I've just beaten the Outbreaker in the Sands of Kogor. These are words. <laughs> it's a good game. Uh, I really want to get this recording done so I can go back and play it. That's fair enough, Minty. <laughs> Chris, what have you been playing this week apart from Outer Wilds? I've got to be a little bit cryptic this week as the main game I've spent some time playing is actually one a little bit further up my list that I was playing for research, as it were. As a few little hints, it's a game that I've played using my open source scanline converter like I mentioned the other week. So it's an older title. Mega Drive. It's a game that I never oh, yeah. fully finished as a kid, which is why I've now spent the, I don't know, 16, 17 hours I think it took to beat it properly and it's a game that in hindsight I initially thought I'd placed too high which was why I was replaying it but because I was basing that on, on kind of ancient memories in practice now I think I placed it way too low uh, so that'll be a, a disappointment oh when my. I get to that week oh. Sonic 3D <laughs> other than that today I finished uh, Simpsons Hit and Run oh. uh, with my girlfriend that we've been playing on and off for the last uh, weekend or two and I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's a really good fun game. It's a, a blatant like GTA open world ripoff at the time. It was kind of like the, yeah. PG, the PG version. But playing it with hindsight, it's it's quite nice because it's a, it's a solid game. Like it's it's decent enough. But it draws from a time also when The Simpsons was still pretty good. Because oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it came out like early 2000s. So around like season 14, 15, where it had started its decline, but in no way where it is now in season 30 plus. And it's a game that's fully voice acted by the proper cast. It's kind of, it's, it's slight enough in each stage that it feels manageable, even though it's an open world game. And it's also just a nice throwback to when licensed games were occasionally hidden gems. They could be decent. And, and instead of nowadays where a licensed game is almost always mobile tosh, like laden with microtransactions. Yeah. And uh, we finished it like a few hours ago, just this morning. 100% found all the items, did all the stuff. And I'm just really glad that I, I gave it more than maybe the, I don't know, 20 minutes, 30 minutes I did near its release. Yeah. It's been really fun to go back to. So, yeah, that was good. Oh, good. Yeah, I remember renting that from Blockbuster. Mm. Me and my friend Alec Howard played through it over the course of a weekend. And it was, a yeah, really good fun game. Good fun game. Should we move on to the rankings? Rankings! Great, let's do it. Starting this week, we have Minty. Minty! Can you please tell us about your 48th favourite video game of all time? So, I've been looking back over the arse end of my top 100 list to see if there's any one thing in these games that comes close to the sheer hype that surrounded the USP of this week's game. Ooh. And I can't really see any one game mechanic that made me think, well, I've got to play this now, to the extent that the thing this game is famous for did. Pokemon Blue doesn't count because I wanted to play that for the entirety of the Pokemon experience. But I made a list to show you just how important a landmark the aforementioned thing in this game is. 
By virtue of its rank, it's beaten out Elabitz's motion controls, <laughs> Golf Story's fresh approach to the golf mechanics, the wonderful 101's Unite powers, Pokemon Snap's overarching, here are Pokemon just fucking around in their homes and you can spy on them instead of stepping on them in grass theme. Banjo-Kazooie and Mario 64's early mastery of the 3D platforming genre. Pokemon X finally being a proper Pokemon game in 3D. What a testament it is that all of these wonderful, diverse games can't hold a candle to the cerebral bore from Turok 2. Oh, Mitzi! Yes, yes, yes and yes, Chris. We're talking about Turok again. Oh, God! And you'll be pleased to hear for the last time. Amazing. Oh. This is the absolute pinnacle of the series. It's a stirring, inventive, gory campaign through the Lost Land to eradicate the Primogen, a guy who has a big brain and is also kind of a woodlouse. Big thanks to Night Dive Studio for remastering this game a couple of years ago. It's been great to play through it again with that notorious draw distance gone and the frame rate being able to reach double figures just as God intended. <laughs> being able to play something oh. now that I'm older and good at games meant that like Turok 1 I was able to enjoy a full playthrough of the game without cheats and actually complete the game and get the good ending which I didn't actually realise was in there. Whereas I used to just put the cheats on and warp to the final boss with invincibility, all weapons, infinite ammo, over and over for days on end. This time I'd actually beaten all the mission objectives, so I'd protect... Check you out! Yeah, I protected all the energy totems, which then shot out a beam of, I guess, energy? And they just blew him up and just, yeah, completely got rid of him, which was nice. So yes, I was able to beat it without cheats, and goodness, it's just a landmark of what shooters should be, I think. It's gratuitously violent, <laughs> the enemies basically don't stop coming, you solve all your problems by either killing things or blowing stuff up, you foil a universal cult by stealing their handheld nuke that they've chopped up into six pieces, and the weapons. Oh boy, Jonathan and Chris, the weapons. <laughs> Good lord, man, the weapons. By comparison, we love our modern shooters, don't we? We, we love them with their realistic weapons and... Uh... I've never cared about anything else. <laughs> yeah, I know, I'm doing a bit. As you were. All right. We love our modern shooters, don't we? With oh, their... by gum, do we? Oh, oh with their realistic hell. weapons and the enemies that are just people with accents. <laughs> oh, boy, what does this new weapon do? Oh, it shoots bullets. <laughs> oh, what's this new weapon do? Oh, this one shoots bullets in a different way. Oh, this one, it shoots different bullets. Uh, in, like in bursts this one you can hold down the trigger and it'll shoot bullets until you stop brilliant oh wow a new enemy what's their deal oh it's another foreigner with a better gun or oh and or in a vehicle <laughs> turok says no to this how are you going to fare against this dinosaur man that can shoot energy blasts uh, here's an honest to god zombie and another one and another one etc 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 have you had enough yet no well Here's a big leathery gorilla with a minigun. Cyborgs as well. How about this big insect man? What's wrong? Guns that shoot bullets not enough for you? How about a laser shotgun that bounces off the walls? Oh, you want a rocket launcher? Here's one that shoots three at once that home in on enemies. Oh, yes, we know knives are cool. That's why we put 50 on them on this big round boomerang. <laughs> Headshot? Sit down and let me learn you a thing. This bad boy locks on and drills out the brain of your targets. Oh, it doesn't work on enemies with very small heads that live in very dark places. Okay, here's a grenade that's the sun. <laughs> why are you still here? <laughs> 
<laughs> One complaint that I have seen about this game is that the levels are too long and too maze-like, and to that I say, maybe you should allow yourself to enjoy things instead of just barreling through them from checkpoint to checkpoint. Yeah, Chris. I thought I'd completed the last level when I played through as a grown-up, but came back to sort of the central area to see that I'd missed a switch that shuts off the power to the force field that you need to get rid of to get the key to the final boss. Mm. Did I piss and moan about it? Yes, I did, actually, for, for maybe a day or two. But then going back to it, it was, it was never that much of a slog. It's, it's, it's just a very fun game and thankfully a lot less reliant on those boss battle tier platform hopping than the first one was. That's it. That's all I have to say about Turok 2. It's good and I've made you both laugh talking about it, so I'm happy. This game, I got Turok 2 before I got the first one on the N64. And I got it because I had my little RAM expansion pack that had come with Donkey Kong 64. Yes. And everything I'd read was like, it's, it looks amazing. Stick in that pack, it's going to look brilliant. It did improve the resolution mildly and in turn dropped the frame rate by even further. <laughs> so it, it was a game that honestly on the N64, like Minty said, I don't think gets out of single digits for, for a frame rate. And it looks really nice for the time. Like it's, it's all really nicely textured. It's got great atmosphere and everything else. Mm. But I never got as far as seeing any of these cool enemies and weapons or anything else because the opening section was such a slog <laughs> that I just thought, fuck it, I'm not playing this. <laughs> and, and I still haven't to this day. As I was looking into uh, some of the minutiae of this game, I came across a little fact that... Uh, Really, really hammers home just how far we've come in terms of graphical and technical advancements. Because that very same expansion pack meant that it upped the resolution to 640 by 480. Blimey. It's pretty good for the N64. Yeah. To be fair, I've been playing The Witcher 3 on Switch in handheld mode, so I'd love to reach those resolutions. (laughs) (laughs) Funny because it's true. 300p. (laughs) I think the dynamic resolution stuff is very, very clever and very good tech, but when you can see it happening in like one cutscene. Oh, Geralt's lost his beard (laughs) and his nose and his eyes. I remember playing a section in that game that was just like in an underwater cave. Yeah. And and the kind of the, the weird ripply effect on the water on The Witcher 3 on the Switch. It's like, where is my character at all? Mm. But it's a technical marvel. <laughs> it is. It does look amazing, actually, with the new update. So. Yeah. They've done a great job. I mean, you've got to give them credit. They really, really have. And I do. And already I've played it more than I've played it on the PlayStation. So good. Moving on, we have Chris's game. Chris, can you please tell us what your 48th favourite video game of all time is? I can. It's very different to Minty's. <laughs> yeah, I'm really excited to shit all over it, just like you have. <laughs> My 48th favourite video game is another walking simulator. Now, I, I mentioned this when I said about Proteus uh, quite a few weeks back, that it was, it's, you know, it's a term that started life as a bit of a pejorative that would often refer to games where your primary objective uh, is essentially to experience a narrative without particular input from you no real challenge outside of just moving from one narrative set piece to the next and the term was used most of the time to say kind of like well, all you do is walk but I, I think they're all games when done well that, that have real value that, that people just kind of miss the point on a bit and, and my game today is for me like the gold standard of this genre today and it's Firewatch oh what a what a oh Great game. Lovely game. You you mentioned this, Jonathan, when we did one of our specials. Uh, was it in the summer I episode did, yeah. we talked about it? I think it was, yeah. So to recap, it's rough plot for anyone that may have missed that episode or, or not know what it is. It's a game you play as a man named Henry, who is a young man who, who takes up a summer position as a fire warden overlooking like a large American national park. 
And uh, through the course of this summer, Henry basically finds himself developing a kinship with a woman named Delilah, who also works for the Park Service. That, that's kind of the setup. And it's potentially unremarkable in, in that. But in execution, I, I think it's a really, really layered character study that explores some really exciting narrative approaches and avenues for video games. It does things in, in a very different way, I think, in places. And I, I just want to mention a few of those, essentially, because I don't want to spoil the story. But I do want to go into why I think this is, is such like a, a, a good emotional experience that I had playing this. Now, external to any of the actual story or interaction you have as a player, it's a game that stands out as being really beautiful because it uses audio and visuals incredibly well to give its whole setting like just proper sense of place. The world's stylized. It's got almost cel-shaded texturing. It's got a lovely sort of saturated summer color palette. And the soundtrack, which I, I really enjoy as well, uses kind of sparse guitar to play on like almost like Wild West Americana in the background with really excellent effect. It's also a game that uses like Foley audio really well to do a lot of the heavy lifting and sort of creating atmosphere when you're out in the park. But mostly it's, it's got outstanding voice work. I genuinely think like it's, it's coupled with brilliant writing and it's some of the best delivery I've heard in a video game. It feels natural. It's just, it's great dialogue. And I mean, what makes it stand out for me, like I said, is its narrative and, and how it works with that to do things that are really, really smart. And, and that starts from minute one. Like you, you boot up the game and I don't know how, how much you remember from when you played it, but... When you start it, it opens just using text to give some backstory as to why Henry has taken up this position as a fire warden. So it's kind of before you actually see the world, before you see through Henry's eyes or anything like that, because it's a, a first person game, you're just given this kind of text preamble. And you find out that Henry's partner of some years has developed like a long-term illness. It leaves Henry feeling as though he needs some sort of escape from the whole situation. And in itself, that's like a heartbreaking start to the game. If you're just given that as your kind of opening text crawl. That, that would be a pretty kind of weighty beginning. But Firewatch lets you make these little small choices in how that intro text plays out. And I think it, what's really clever is it fundamentally changes your internal perception of Henry as a character before you've actually like met him as a player. So they're, they're not decisions that will affect the main narrative of the game in a traditional sense. Like they're not gonna come back three hours later and, and kind of say, oh, I remember when you did that. But they are decisions which affect the way you feel throughout the game's whole runtime. Because you, playing as Henry, know why you chose to be there. You, as Henry, know what you've left behind. You know how you've reacted. You know, and most importantly, the type of person these decisions sculpt. So you get a feeling for kind of who you are playing as more than you would normally do in this sort of game. And like I said, it doesn't return to these ideas. It, it doesn't pop up. It just lets them be. So it's not like a, a moral choice, like in, in Telltale games, like The Walking Dead, which is dredged up later, like for kind of like a cheap emotional shot. Instead, it's, it's like an approach to character building that's just really respectful of you as the person playing. And, and it lets you kind of have this story which just kicks around in your head, which, which was really profound, I think. It, it made me think very differently about what I was doing and, and where I was in this place. When the game starts properly, like I said, it chucks you into a first-person view of Henry's world. And very quickly, you're introduced to Delilah, the other character I mentioned. And that is a person who is presented entirely as a voice on the other end of a walkie-talkie as she's at another kind of remote post at the outskirts of the park. Now, communicating by radio, again, is nothing new in video games, but in Firewatch, it's used to a really devastating effect because it helps create like a sense of loneliness that, that I don't think would come across if you had another character like sat in your little lodge with you. I've noticed recently, like watching kind of like, um, like serial television shows on Netflix or anything like that, lots of modern TV shows now are set in the 80s and 90s as it's a way of basically creating tension in the narratives because characters don't have mobile phones. 
Yes, that's a good point. And, and I think it's it's a lazy answer to a, to a problem that we've basically got in kind of writing narratives now that in order to kind of create tension, you've got to do something to remove that immediate connection. Firewatch approaches that from like this dilemma from a very different angle because although it is set in the 80s, it, it uses this kind of older tech like with the walkie-talkies to, to ground everything in a very real world that it creates a sense of isolation whilst also giving you kind of like almost like a carrot and stick approach to make you feel remote but not entirely alone because there is someone that you can connect to and what i think firewatch is brilliant at doing is is creating like this sense of space not only in the, in the place around you but between people and I, and I think that's evident in why henry has taken the job in the first place it's evident in kind of his and delilah's stilted relationship because there's obviously like a call and response sort of thing using the walkie talkies and someone not always being available but most importantly, if we're really considering this genre like games as having proper narrative weight and, and literary value is, is because it uses setting and environmental design to, to tell its story as well. Like Firewatch has no like heads up display. There's no HUD in Firewatch. You've got a map, you've got a compass, you've got a voice on the end of the radio. And it's basically you're, you're doing simple orienteering to get around this space. And I think the decision to kind of let the player plot their own route means that it's possible to be surprised by environmental detail whilst also being kind of leisurely in your approach to how you get around. And above all, it, it lets you be lost. Like there's not many games anymore that let you get lost. It's not, it's not a massive map, but there's definitely times that you, you will find yourself not knowing where you are. And when I talked about Proteus, like my, my 70th favorite video game, the island you're moving around is really small. Your goal is always subtly highlighted. And if you try and spend too much time in one place, the game will start pulling you towards its center anyway to, to help you progress. And Firewatch is a totally different story because it has these moments where you do feel genuinely lost and you're kind of constantly flicking towards the map and the compass trying to work out where you are and, and just get a, a sense of where your, where your bearings are kind of thing. But as you move through the woods and the canyons by torchlight, these bits for me were some of the best parts of the whole experience because it, it lets you feel part of Henry's story. He's, he's lost in this place, it's a new place to him and you're lost for, for kind of the same reason. The few occasions you do have brushes with actual people, either directly or indirectly, are also like handled with such care that I, I think it would have been so easy for the writers and developers to just like shoot their wad as it were <laughs> like, as you go in but the, the game is just really assured in how it's going to deliver its story and the pacing of, of kind of every twist and turn is, is it's a real joy it's really really nicely done like I said I don't want to spoil the story but I hope this is enough to kind of make people want to play it because it's a really really special game it's one I played in one sitting it's one that a couple of days later I, I made my partner at the time play in, in one sitting if anyone does want to talk about it in any more detail that has played it, please talk to me on social media. Like, I, I love discussing this stuff. So do get in touch. I think Firewatch is a game that, at its heart, is about finding your way as a person. And you find your way in physical space. You find your way in kind of the tangled, complicated relationship between you and Delilah. And it's a game that made me feel really, really deeply emotional playing it. And more than kind of in the mindset of its protagonist than almost any other game I think I've played. Like I, I really felt I, I was that character. I was, I was experiencing what he was. And I think above all, it's just, it's a remarkable achievement. It's one that I don't think the developers are, are probably going to surpass. And they were absorbed by Valve not that long ago, put on a VR project and then just ripped off it with, with no warning. So I, I don't think they're going to be making anything in the near future either. But yeah, Firewatch, my 48th favorite video game of all time absolutely fantastic game and uh yeah great experience one that i i really enjoyed myself it, it was back in the summer special yeah. you uh spoke about it a lot better than i did i think so um if you want to go back and listen to uh to me talking about it don't bother <laughs> waste the time if you want to listen to me talk about something else though 
you can listen to that now. So my 48th favourite video game is the second oldest game on my list after I had Alex Kidd in Miracle World way back as my number 96th. And this game is from the same system, the Master System. Oh. It is the classic action-adventure game, Wonderboy 3, The Dragon's Trap. Lovely! <laughs> so after Alex Kidd and Sonic the Hedgehog, I think this may have been the game that was in most people's Master System collection. Now, I was very, very young when me and my brother Alex had this game. I was probably only four or five, so a lot of my enjoyment of the game was passive, watching, watching him play through it. So let me describe the setup. You start the game as the titular Wonder Boy, and the game opens with you in a castle hunting down a, a dragon. Uh, once you beat the dragon, you are afflicted with a curse, transformed into a lizard man, and the game begins. You then have to hunt down the next dragon before being transformed into the next creature. You go from lizard man to mouse man to piranha man to lion man and finally to hawk man. And they all have different abilities. Lizard man can breathe fire. Mouse man can walk on special blocks, allowing him to walk on walls and ceilings. Piranha man can swim. Lion man has a huge swing to his sword arc, which allows him to hit blocks underneath his feet. And hawk man can fly. Great. <laughs> Each of these abilities allow you to access different parts of the world that will send you on your own individual quest to best the next dragon until you break the dragon's curse and return yourself to human form once again. Absolutely epic adventure. Within this, there are some proper RPG elements that, I mean, that's it's the sort of stuff that went totally over my head as a kid. So when you kill monsters, you get gold and you can spend your gold to buy new armour and new weapons, making you more powerful and you can find new heart containers to increase your life. And there are also a series of special magical weapons you could find to help boost your attacks, like lightning strikes and fireballs. Now, this was in a time before saving games was really a thing. You kind of had to beat a game in one go, or, or not at all. But Wonderboy 3 had a password save system, which a lot of games sort of utilised if they were obviously quite large games. And this allowed you then you to obviously reload your game between sessions. And you could visit a pig man in the villages who would give you a massive, like, 14-character password that you could write down to then return to where you left off next time. Pig man. I love a pig man. I know you do, <laughs> said David Cameron. <laughs> However, there are also some cheat passwords. <laughs> I love a pig, comma, man. So there are also some cheat passwords that you could enter to play the game in different ways, allowing you to start the game with like loads of gold or all the equipment or whatever. And I still remember the one that we basically used every time, which was 0000000WE5T0NE, which spelt out West One, which was the name of the developer. Ooh. And this gave you all the weapons, equipment, tons of gold, and you start as human in the main village, and then you can bust into the transformer that's in the village which you usually can't get into much later in the game and then you can freely change between the different forms so you can basically then pick whatever quest you want to go on it also opens up a whole load of secret doors so you can just skip straight to the bosses of those things and because we were so young and because of this era of gaming we i mean we found the game incredibly hard and, and playing the game with the cheat codes was really the only way we could get any enjoyment out of it I do remember, though, watching Alex play it and getting the furthest we ever did on, like, a legitimate run, which was to the boss of Mouse Man's adventure. 
And I was so nervous and so tense that when he died on the boss, I just burst into tears. Oh. <laughs> Couldn't take it. Couldn't take it. Now, this game is one that me and Alex always talked about and remembered when we were growing up, when we had moved on to the next console and the next and the next. And then something truly wonderful happened that brought me an immense amount of joy. In 2016, a developer called Lizard Cube mounted a remake of the game with a beautiful new hand-drawn animated graphical style. And I mean, it looked gorgeous. I mean, I couldn't believe it when I saw the first screenshot. It was like I dreamt it up because I always used to think of like how games I enjoyed as a kid would look if they were made today. And it just looked exactly like that. And, and this remake wasn't like most remakes. They actually reverse engineered the original Master System code to develop an entirely faithful experience. So you could even switch seamlessly at any point between the original graphical style and the new one. And it was mad to play it because even though like it, it played exactly the same, it was just the graphical style that was changing. It felt like you were playing a modern platformer, even though you were actually playing the original. And I mean, even like the music had been orchestrated, re-recorded, and you could switch between that and the original chiptune music at will as well. And they even built in like the password save system, so you could actually use your old save codes from like, I mean, literally like 30 years ago <laughs> and pick up your old adventure from where you left off. It was just... A, absolutely wonderful faithful video game design because of the extra buttons on modern controllers it meant that there were buttons mapped just switching the graphical style or switching the musical style so i did switch back and forth occasionally just to sort of remind myself of of how it looked and and all of that but i, I yeah i did find it a lot more intuitive to play with the new art style like i said despite the fact that it, it was exactly the same to be honest they didn't even add in that many new features or like quality of life stuff i mean they tweaked the way you managed your weapons and equipment and that was mainly because like i said there was about 50 new buttons on modern controllers that were doing nothing so it was easy to put in a pause menu for example which was a luxury back in the day apparently <laughs> when you had like two buttons they also added in some difficulty settings as well to encourage repeated playthroughs now needless to say i was absolutely beside myself i say needless to say i said it earlier I was absolutely beside myself with excitement to get this remake. I mean, it was just made with so much love, respect for the original, and I thought I would, for the first time, actually be able to attempt the game and try and beat it from start to finish, legitimately. Much in the way that I did with Alex Kidd when they released it on the Switch on the Sega Ages label, and I was finally able to play that. And, yeah, day one, bought the game, beat it. (laughs) <laughs> and it was it, I mean there were still some really tough sections like the ninjas on Lion Man's quest were still a total pain in the ass. but overall I mean I had a much more comprehensible grasp of how the game worked and I just had the most wonderful time playing through the game properly with an adult mind I mean yeah the new art style is just gorgeous I mean just so so gorgeous huge credit to a chap called Ben Fique who is the artist for the game I mean, he collaborated with the original game designer and then single-handedly produced all of the art and animations for the game himself, just entirely single-handed. It's insane. And it's been such a, such a beautiful achievement. And completing the game for the first time felt amazing. I was so proud of myself and I enjoyed it so much that I dived straight back in to beat it again on hard mode, which not only threw in harder enemies into the mix and you dealt like half damage and took twice as much damage, you also had a timer on your health. So every few seconds, you would take a hit, no matter where you were, which meant you also had to move incredibly efficiently. You couldn't 
pace yourself just because it was harder. In fact, you actually had to attack it even more relentlessly. Yeah, obviously I beat that as well. <laughs> Na- naturally. Naturally. I mean, yeah. naturally. Because of how much I enjoyed this remake, I was debating whether or not to list the original or the remake as my 48th favourite video game. But since they are literally the exact same game, and the remake basically served as a way to help me fully enjoy the original game, which, I mean, I think that was the intention of the developers of the remake, to share a classic game with a new audience. But the original game is absolutely incredible, and as the remake proved, it totally holds up today and is well worth playing. I mean, it's available on everything now as well, even it's had a port onto iOS, so just get it and play it, even if only just to pause it occasionally and look at the beautiful art wonderful stuff boyful stuff three bags full stuff (laughs) did you uh have you or have you played monster boy in the cursed kingdom i've never played another wonder boy game have you not or monster boy or any of those no the whole series i know is like a a mess of yeah almost like timelines that it starts from from adventure island i think going right right back and then ends up with wonder boy and that whole series on, on sega consoles but Monster Boy and the Curse of Kingdom was, was a different developer again to Lizard Cube, but it was like a spiritual successor to the Dragon's Trap, as, as it were. So it has the same kind of like changing between animal forms and all that kind of thing. Yeah. And you'd probably love it. Like it reviewed really, really well. People said it was really, really faithful whilst being kind of something fresh. So I've not played it personally, but I, th- I think you'd probably get a real kick out of it, given how much you enjoyed that game. I'll add it to my list. But yeah, it's available again on, on PS4, Xbox One, Switch. So... It's out there. Where is it? Monster Boy in the Cursed Kingdom. That's the one. 35 quid. Mm. Wait for a sale. Oh, there's the Pigman. <laughs> I thought it was Lion Man shoving his Snake Man into the Pigman's mouth. But no, it's David Cameron. <laughs> 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 so there we have it. Another three games from us three gents in our three cents. First of all, we had... Mine was Turok 2. Then we had... Firewatch. Then we had Wonderboy 3, The Dragon's Trap. If you've enjoyed this episode, or if indeed you've enjoyed any of our episodes, please do get involved with so many ways to share this podcast and spread the joy of what we're doing. You can find us on Facebook, www.facebook.com forward slash Our Three Cents. You can join in the conversation there. You can ask us questions that you might like us to answer on future episodes. You can reach out to us individually on Twitter. I'm at Jonathan Dunn. I am at Chaz underscore Hodges. I've given up social media for Lent, but I'm at Clement Boo, and I'll see you after our Lord has risen. One of the other ways that you can get involved with what we're doing is to visit our Patreon page, www.patreon.com forward slash Our Three Cents, and you can find out all the ways in which you can benefit from pledging your support to the podcast. A very special shout out to Andy Smith, Gene Limbrick, and CJ Anderson for their Patreon backing. Huge thanks from us. And please do join us next week where we will be talking about our 47th favourite video games of all time. Yep, yep. We're really enjoying each other today, aren't oh, we? Oh, dear. Great. Me. God, I'm getting a hot flush. <laughs>